Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined once again by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. It is Lions Week, but much more is at stake for the Vikings than just a regular trip to Detroit. They need to continue to win. And as Harrison Smith said, everything is still in front of us as far as what they want to do this season. That's remarkable considering they're five and six going to be without Dalvin cook potentially for a game or two. So let's start there. Uh, Last time we left it off, cook was carted off the field with a shoulder dislocation. Uh, Ben, what have you heard since then? and, And how long do you think he might be out for Minnesota? Well, the last time this happened, and this sounds like a similar time frame from everything I've heard, he missed, I believe, two games. I think the, the second one against the Packers well, it was Packers and the Bears. I think they basically decided we're going to get him ready for the playoffs, knowing that the playoffs were, I think, already pretty much guaranteed to have happened, or they, they were going to – they had wrapped up a playoff spot, I think is what I'm clumsily trying to say. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be a similar time frame, probably a, a couple of games um, – the, the, the follow-up to this when he had an MRI is the question of whether he tore his labrum. He did tear his labrum. Uh, that's not probably as big of a deal as it gets made out to be. I mean, with baseball players or anybody that throws, that's, that's a big problem. Uh, if you are a, an athlete that your primary skill is an overhead motion, uh, that becomes a big deal when you tear your labrum. With a football player, it's, it's almost always – something that accompanies a dislocated shoulder and he had one in his other shoulder a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, I'm sure it's not comfortable to play with and it's something you have to figure out, but I would expect it's a couple of games and you probably have him back now. Um, does it become an issue again? That's going to be, I think one question going forward because that happened to him a couple of years ago where he heard it in Seattle. And I think two weeks later heard it again against the chargers. And that's when they finally decided we got to shut him down and get him ready for the playoffs. So, if this is something where a couple of games gets rid of it and, or at least gets it to a point where it's manageable and he's good to go after that, I think it's one thing, but if it becomes an issue that bothers him down the stretch, it becomes, a, I think, a bigger concern. Yeah, that's a good point about the, the kind of nagging issue with this because Cook's had a history of shoulder injuries to both of them going back to high school, obviously at Florida State. He had surgery on one of those shoulders uh, in the spring. Uh, and then he's, yeah, as Ben just, talked about he had that and with Minnesota here too so um, but Alexander Madison's been a a worthwhile backup for them when he's had to step in they've won two games already without Dalvin Cook this year and now going up against Detroit and Pittsburgh who just got run over by Joe Mixon in Cincinnati Mike I guess these are two decent games to be without Cook if you had to pick two games to be without him yeah uh, although these are games they really do need to win not ideal to be at anything less than full strength offensively um but yeah i mean madison's been a capable backup um maybe we'll see uh, more of the young rookie who seems to be uh, pretty impressive whenever he uh, touches the ball too um nene pronounce his last name for me i always mess it up Wongu. Wongu? Sorry, just yeah. sorry ben do that again with me not in the way uh, it's Wangu, I believe. Just Wangu. Okay. Yes. Nay Wangu. Um, you know, two run backs for touchdowns already. He looked, you know, they gave him a touch in 
the uh, the offense uh, last week. So maybe a little bit more of him. Who knows? But yeah, it's you know probably get into this a little bit more when we talk specifically about Detroit. But I'm just strangely worried about that game if I'm a Vikings fan. It just it feels like it's got some elements to it that I don't that I don't like even though you kind of assume this is a, a winless team and just being without Dalvin Cook is one more kind of piece of eh, I don't like this. Yeah, we'll we'll get to Kenny. Let's talk about that right now cuz we I wanted to get into this December stretch for for the Vikings where it's it's going to be pivotal obviously for them to win enough in a pretty mediocre NFC to get in. Cause they do still control what they want to do. If they keep winning, they'll get in. And with that said, Mike, why does starting in Detroit worry you with an O 10 and one lions team? Is it just, is it that? O? is it the O with the win column that worries you? Part of it's the O part of it's just the Detroit doesn't seem to have completely given up. Um, you know, they, they were competitive on Thanksgiving against the bears. I mean, the bears are bad, but, the fact that they played the Vikings close in Minnesota and, you know, Minnesota was in control of that game for most of it, but, you know, needed kind of a miraculous finish to pull out that win. And, you know, so you add those two things, you add just the fact that Minnesota still been, you know, pretty banged up on the defensive line and, you know, dealing with you know, all sorts of stuff there. We don't know about Dalvin Tomlinson at that point. Is, is he, is he, we think he's going to be back this week, or we don't know that yet. I mean, he could come back this week. He's unvaccinated, so it's a 10-day uh, mandatory quarantine, essentially, um, when you test positive, which our understanding is that he did test positive. So he could be back, I think, by Thursday or Friday. I mean, I think he went on the COVID list last Tuesday, so – when that clock starts, if that's your first day on it, I assume that's the case. So uh, I think he could be back and could conceivably play. The question is, is he in shape to do that? Is he ready to go have a big role? But yeah, I think he should be able to come off the list if he's asymptomatic and, and not uh, affected by COVID that much. I would venture to guess if he's breathing, he's playing for Mike Zimmer right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because maybe got to be breathing without symptoms. So. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah. And if, I mean, if he's out, that's that's all four starters potentially out again. And then, you know, for for all of Detroit's weaknesses, and it's a it's a long list. They run the ball reasonably well. They've got you know, they ran the ball pretty well against the Vikings last time they played them. They had over a hundred yards. They probably didn't do it enough. They averaged like. 4.7, 4.8 yards a carry, something like that. Like they're, it's a good running team. Like it's just a, it's a game that feels like it could be close, like every other Vikings game. And in a game like that, you, you know, you leave yourself kind of thin on the margins, even against a bad team. Yeah. Ben, we just sat through a Mike Zimmer press conference in which um, he gave Mike Rand all of the reason to be worried about this game. He ran down the Detroit list of stats of why Mike Zimmer doesn't like stats, but he likes them when, they can serve this purpose of propping up a winless opponent. Um, he did. He ran through all the, they haven't allowed X amount of points in the last three weeks. They run the ball. Well, they're defensively, they're tough. They have a certain acronym on special teams that he wouldn't say what the acronym stood for, but he told us uh, half of it. He told you yeah, blank wolf. I, I, uh, BWs. <laughs> they have, they have about six BWs on special teams. He would not tell us what the first letter was. He said the second letter is wolf. He did say so, it's a Kentucky thing. Yeah, so you would assume 
that the first letter was not something he wanted to say on a press conference that's live streamed, nor is it perhaps something we should say on this podcast. But um, Urban Dictionary has some ideas for you. So if you want to go, if you're the curious type that would like to go look this up, uh, you may be able to get to the bottom of it by searching, by doing your own research. I'm sure it's just belligerent wolves. I'm, I'm sure that's all it is. Probably it. I mean, that would be <laughs> but, uh, you know, you may, your mileage may vary. But Ben, how much of it are you buying? I guess that, I mean, it's not like we sit around and watch a bunch of Detroit lion footage, but how much of it are you buying that this is a game to be worried about? Well, I mean, on one hand, the, the routine takes me back to, you know, covering Glenn Mason, buttering up, listening to, listening to him butter up uh, non-conference opponents early in the Gopher season. Whenever he would talk about, Hey, these kids are tough. They're well coached. You know, that was sort of shorthand for they're not very talented and we're going to pound them. But that's a little different in college than it is in the NFL. I, I think there is, if you're going to worry about this game, it's because the Lions have one very important thing to still be playing for, which is to avoid the embarrassment of being a team that did not win a game to be the second Lions team to not win a game. Yes, they tied one. But I think if you have that zero at the start of it, and Mark Craig wrote about this this week about the Lions team that was winless until they beat Denny Green in his last year with the Vikings, and he was fired two weeks later. Uh, they, they beat him in early December, I believe, or late November that year. So that worry, I think, would be a cause for worry for anybody. And it's a team that you, by all accounts, should have lost a game to last time until you bailed it out in the last couple of minutes. Yes, the Vikings controlled that game, but they had to go win it in improbable fashion. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's worrisome in that sense. Now, it's a team that doesn't want a game, which speaks to the level of proficiency on the other side of the ball in a lot of ways. But, yeah, I, I think if, if they were 1-9-1, and one, I think it'd probably be a little easier to say, yeah, this one's probably going to be fine. I want to ask both you guys about a moment from that last Vikings Lions game. Um, that was obviously the one that ended with the Kirk Cousins game winning drive. The you like that in Mike Zimmer's face that kind of jarred uh, the old oh. head coach. Um, I, ben, just starting with you, how far do you think the offense and I guess maybe how far do you think Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins relationship has come just in the last what really has been two months and has and, and is that is that an improper narrative to even throw out there? Is it just the same as it was two months ago? I think the relationship is such that they understand one another better. And Kirk said it last week that they understand in so many words that if they don't win, the two of them are going to have their rear ends in a sling more than probably anybody else in the building uh, with the possible exception of Rick Spielman. But I don't, think the two of them are ever going to be as tight as Zimmer and you know Deion Sanders or you, know, you can pick any number of players that he would put on that list I, I don't think it's that type of a relationship I don't think it has changed to that um, I don't think it will I, I think they're just different people and people I talk to about the relationship are like yeah it's it's they have their time together and they have I think developed a way to work together but it's still not something where they're going to be terribly close and, and that's fine I mean you can you can make this work the way it is but the idea that Kirk has completely changed the way he plays quarterback 
because of these meetings or that they've kind of taken this relationship to a different place entirely. Um, I don't think it's entirely the case. I think you're going to hear some of that on the broadcast every week on the, on the TV broadcast. I think that comes up a lot, but I don't think it's completely that way. Well, how far, maybe question for both of you guys, how far has the offense come? Like, has the offense changed? Do you think it's certainly become more aggressive? There's things that have changed behind the scenes, certainly, but it seems like the offense has been a little less conservative since then. Yeah, and Cousins has pointed some to the play calling. I think that's had something to do with it. We've heard a little bit about him probably getting nudged in the direction of being a little more aggressive in part because of the play calling. And um play callers just putting in and the offensive staff just putting in more stuff that allows him to go downfield where that's he talks a lot about this is where my reads take me and if your reads are taking you to downfield shots because they're in the, the game plan more often that's I think part of it as well but um, yeah I, I think a lot of it is probably coming from there and that that piece of the equation isn't probably talked about as much as it should be yeah, I, I feel like the offense has evolved. I think Ben's right. It does seem like – I think it's like it's – in any case, it's never going to be 100% one thing. It's probably a little bit of Zimmer coming to realize that, you know, especially if these injuries have piled up, that he's not going to be able to win games with his defense like he would want to and like he was trying to do kind of early in the year where he would kind of, you know, where the game plan did seem more conservative and they were inclined to – kind of trust the defense in those two minute situations at the end of the game instead of offense. If they're going to get into a close game, I think Kirk has made some different decisions and I think that the play calling has been different. So I think the offense definitely has evolved. I doubt that the relationship between cousins and Zimmer has evolved all that much beyond the fact that they are communicating better. And like Ben said, that they probably both realize that their fates are, you know, seems like they'd be pretty well, tied together and I can imagine some scenario where you know one stays and one goes but it's a it's a very kind of narrow narrow kind of outcome for this season so I, I think if, if anything they've, they've developed a better working relationship especially since, remember back in camp I mean I wrote about this but it was like you know Zimbra was just all all over cousins with the vaccine stuff and it was it was warranted but it just felt strange given how much we knew, especially after watching that preseason, that he was going to need Kirk Cousins to be good Kirk Cousins if they're going to do anything this season. And I think maybe he's at least come to that realization that I might not like this guy, but I need him right now if we're going to win games. Well, I think that probably drove part of it in the preseason too, is that he knew he was going to need Cousins, and he knew that if, if one guy is not available to me, it affects me more in this spot than anybody else. I've also heard that there was, I mean, he was, the frustration with Cousins was not just with Zimmer, and some of it was being communicated to Zimmer uh, by people in the in the front office, people in the organization that were frustrated with the whole thing. And so some of that was Zimmer being the mouthpiece, I think, for people internally that were putting pressure on Cousins with the, with the whole thing and, and probably saying a lot of things about their frustration with him in the building. So I, some of that came out in some of Zimmer's comments, but yeah, I, I think a lot of it is, as they've both said, agree to disagree on some things. And I think they at least have probably gotten to that point where they can agree to disagree on whether it's that 
with the vaccine or whether it's off, you know, some of the offensive thought processes sometimes it, it's, I suppose in a way in this moment in our culture, uh, if you get people that can say, we agree to disagree and we can still work together. It's probably not the worst thing in the world, I guess. I did find it interesting. Kirk had one comment to Mark in that Sunday story where, where Mark Craig of the Star Tribune talked with Kirk about this relationship that we're discussing. And he had said, Kirk did, that asked about, I think it was about the question of, do you just feel like you get in your own way? Do you feel like you overthink things, overanalyze things? And Kirk said, no, I think sometimes coaches get in the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this is coming from a guy who's had so many different coaches. So there's so many different install periods, playbooks, so many different ways of doing things that he's been told to do. And Kirk is kind of a people pleasing quarterback. He's not going to go out of his, he's not going to necessarily assert himself the same way that some of these hundred million dollar quarterbacks would. Um, however, this year, it sounds like Kirk has in these meetings with Zimmer have kind of helped him voice his opinion to Zimmer directly. And I think Zimmer's put voice to that, where he said, this has opened a channel of communication where we can understand each other a little bit better. And that when these moments of frustration pop up, um, you at least have that base level of understanding where each other's coming from. And for them to be four years into this, and we, we've finally come to that point, I think speaks to where the relationship was at previously. I, and I do think it's made headway this year. And I think that that has probably helped Kirk in the t- uh, uh, intangible sense of being comfortable and voicing his opinion in the offense, maybe doing things that he likes even more. Um, but I, I still see where you're coming from, Ben. I'm like, these guys are just oil and water when it comes to it a little bit. Like this isn't, yeah, this isn't uh, Brett Favre and Mike Zimmer, how they might've got along had they ever been <laughs> head, head coach and quarterback. God, what would that have been like? <laughs> I mean, they would have been hunting together all the time. But, uh, you know, Zim says that interceptions sometimes are a cost of doing business. I, I wonder how far uh, the old gunslinger would have pushed that line. Mike, I was uh, just trying to make a play. He's trying to make a play. It, it is interesting too, though, through for all the for all the flack, and deservedly so, that the cousins got in the preseason for not being vaccinated. I mean, they've had a bunch of other players that have gotten put on the COVID list. He's not gone there yet. Uh, kind of speaks to a how kind of widespread some of this was, and and b like how tenuous this still is because it could be him any day and we just don't know yeah we heard we heard from harrison smith today actually for the first time since he was put on the COVID list uh, the baltimore game a month ago and he had to take we found out the private jet of the wilfs home from baltimore because obviously he had to be quarantined from the team couldn't travel with the team you wouldn't necessarily want to throw him on you know delta and coach um so with harrison good you could, I guess you could. I mean, I don't think, I think you're not supposed to, if you've had well, COVID symptoms and you tested positive, you're probably not supposed to. Yeah. You just tested positive. So you'd assume not, but, um, Harrison basically said he had no symptoms other than his taste being a little dull and that he felt fine. And that it was weird being ruled out despite feeling uh, fine. And that was the same answer that he went back to when he was asked, are you going to get vaccinated now? And he says, no, I, I mean, I just said, I felt fine. So it was an interesting conversation with Harrison, one that came a month after the positive test, two weeks after he returned. But to Mike's point about this and that they have a lot of key players, Dalvin Tomlinson being another one who was tested positive for COVID, have been ruled out, are unvaccinated. And what that changes, as we've gone over a million times, is you're out 10 days if you test positive. 
if you are vaccinated, you can come back, for instance, in a week. Uh, Dalvin Tomlinson theoretically probably could have played last Sunday had he been vaccinated and tested positive on Tuesday. So like Patrick, Patrick Peterson, for example, could play this Sunday if he tests negative twice. Though Mike Zimmer said the other day that most players haven't been able to test negative that soon. But Patrick Peterson, who is vaccinated, would be one of those players that could play Sunday if he had two negative tests within 24 hours of each other. And thank you for bringing that up. Cause I was remiss in not mentioning that we hadn't even mentioned the news of Patrick Peterson uh, testing. Monday was a busy day <laughs> landing on the COVID list. Um, yeah. The Dalvin cook news that we started off the podcast with Patrick Peterson, they could be without bar, but they could be getting Michael Pierce could be getting Dalvin Tomlinson back this week. Um, ben, we saw Michael Pierce return to practice today. They're doing a lighter practice just to walk through, they've got five or two games coming up in five days. Uh, be a little tougher to play five games in two days. Um, but two games in five days, lighter, lighter practice. Mike Zimmer says he hopes Michael Pierce can come back. Um, I wonder if they're not even practicing much this week, how much are you going to get a sense for whether Pierce is ready? That would have been a good question for Mike Zimmer. Uh, one that we'll probably ask him on Friday. Because seeing how much practice they do get this week, because Ben, I, I wonder if this is a legitimate shot for Sunday or if they're maybe even aiming for next Thursday of him coming back. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, and I asked Zimmer a little bit today about the willingness to turn some of these Wednesdays into walkthroughs. We've seen this a couple of times now, and they've done some vet days for players. So kind of just using these tools at his disposal. And he said, yeah, it's hard because you do it for the veterans, but you have guys that are not veterans like Kyle Orton that are, there's going to be like two people that get that, by the way, but that's fine. Andrew and I both get it. He's laughing. I don't care. Um, you, you have guys that are younger players that don't have the time as the experience and this, the years on task that you can draw on when you haven't practiced. So Zimmer said, when you go through this, you may help the veterans, but you're not helping the younger non Orton type players. So it's kind of a, a, a balancing act there. And I think Michael Pierce probably falls a little bit into the latter category because he hasn't had much practice and he hasn't been here that long. So you do wonder if the lack of practice time may be something that hurts him and heck may hurt Tomlinson too, if he's trying to come back and, you know, kind of show that he's in football shape and get his legs back under him, so to speak. Yeah, so the Vikings defense could be getting some reinforcements back. We have to wait and see this week if that includes Michael Pierce. Anthony Barr is dealing with a hamstring injury. We saw him out there today. Christian Derrissaw dealing with an ankle injury. He did not take part in the walkthrough today. Uh, so Rashad Hill was the starting left tackle at today's walkthrough on Wednesday. We'll have to see how much he does moving forward. Um, guys, at, at five and six, the Vikings are still – Right there. Another thing Harrison Smith said today was that they do have whatever they want to do right in front of them. If they keep winning, if they win enough games, they're 10 and seven or, you know, even nine and eight. We could be talking about a seventh seed in the NFC uh, playoff picture right now. That's Washington. They are currently at five and six and the seventh seed. The Vikings are among the half of the conference that has five wins. <laughs> that is right there. Uh, so I want to ask you both. And Mike, I want to start with you it, to make the playoffs. The Vikings, what has to happen for the Vikings? It could be something they can control, something they can't. But what do you think is the most important thing if you had to put one thing on it for them to make the playoffs? I mean, I, I guess they kind of, these kind of go hand in hand, but I mean, 
one, win the games you should win. And I think you're in the playoffs. Uh, I mean, that's, that's too simple. But, you know, if you beat Chicago twice, you beat Detroit and you beat Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh's awful right now. Um, they're, they're a mess. Chicago's not good. I know that winning in Chicago is not something they generally like to do, but this is not a good Bears team. Like, you, Harrison Smith's right. They kind of have it in front of them with those four games. And not like they can't beat the Rams or the Packers either, but just looking at it, nine and eight sure feels like it gets it done. And in order to get that done, they just got, they kind of need to keep playing like they have been playing, uh, which is to stay aggressive on offense. Cause I just, I don't see the defense getting enough guys back quickly to be, you know, a, a, a really good defense. I just think they're, they're going to miss, they're going to be missing too many guys. And then again, it doesn't even account for other guys that might go out as time goes on. It's really going to be incumbent on Kirk Cousins, especially when, with Dalvin Cook potentially out for a couple of games. Like Kirk Cousins kind of needs to be the show on offense for these next two games if Cook's out and make sure they don't lose either of those two games. And if they do that, I think they're going to be in pretty good shape. Ben, what do you think? Well, I mean, you you figure nine and eight gets it done, which I think is probably true. It, that assumes that you don't have some other team in here that suddenly gets hot, I guess. And, and the schedule is, is certainly favorable enough for the Vikings to get that done. It, yeah, I think it, it needs to be probably playing with a level of consistency that we haven't seen. And, you know, we've, we sit here and look at, well, they should win this one. They should win this one. They should win this one. Uh, I mean, they, they lost to Cooper Rush and I'll be with a more talented core around him than a lot of these teams have, but they should have lost the lions the last time too. I mean, that was a game they were in control of that. They darn near blew. I mean, they were losing that game with 37 seconds left or whatever it was. And, like we said, they had to go have Cousins drive them down at the end of the game to go win it. So you have to be consistent enough that it doesn't come down to one play at the end where somebody can beat you awful on a scrimmage or the blown assignment or whatever it happens to be that can create a play that, that costs you the game. So I think some of it is just being consistent enough to probably keep your foot on the gas. And I think some of that's going to have to be on offense, like Mike's saying, with Cousins just – being able to, to sling it against some of these teams. You should be able to do that. But, you know, the, the Bears, they haven't beat the Bears twice in the same year since probably 2017, I think. i got to think back to that year and think if they beat the Bears in Chicago. They did. That was the game that – didn't that the game that uh, uh, Bradford started? And he oh, was, yes, yes. That was Keenum that came in. That was game. kind of the turning point of the season. Yep. Yep. Cause Bradford was awful and it was like, should he be out there or not? And Keenum came in and then they uh, put Aaron Rodgers in the turf six days later and they were kind of off the races. So yeah, I think that would have been the last time. They certainly did not in 18. I mean, they've had trouble with them at us bank stadium when they needed to win again, the playoffs. So that would be the thing that would concern me a little bit. And the bears are not good. The bears are, seem like a mess organizationally, but there's still enough pieces on that defense that even if it's not completely healthy or what it was with Cleo Mack out, that would, that would worry me a little trying to beat them twice in a span of four weeks. I would say that the most important thing is something that they have no control over. And it's that the NFC just continues to cannibalize itself until the Vikings are just kind of floating up there and they're the, you know, detritus or whatever, floating <laughs> right at the top of this pile of 
whatever, um, that the NFC playoff field is. Because I just think if, if, if what's going to prevent them from getting in is if a team like Washington, um, I don't know, New Orleans, one of these like five and six teams that's also with them, if they just go on a run and they finish and they become that sixth or seventh contender that has been missing from this NFC playoff field, because San Francisco has a really easy schedule on the way out. And if you look at them, you think, okay, they're probably going to be too far ahead to catch. So if Philly, New Orleans, Washington, you don't have that tiebreaker. And then that too, that too. And you're missing the tiebreaker. You have it against Carolina. Um, um, I think they're missing it against somebody else too important, but I guess they've only lost to Dallas. Arizona, uh, who else? Anyway, point being, I think the most important thing is that the water level just stays low enough, right, in the NFC, because I just, I think they will beat Chicago, if not twice, at least once. I think they'll beat Pittsburgh and Detroit. I don't share the same fear that Mike does about this Detroit game. Um, I just, I think they're going to be in it in part because the NFC is just so weak. And I think if the, the, all that has to happen is the NFC just stays weak. And Ben, Mike, I don't know if you guys, do you guys see an NFC team where you think, yeah, they might go on a run or is it just going to be, yeah, the Vikings are going to make it and it's not going to feel like much of an accomplishment. I mean, Washington, maybe just in the sense that they've been there. Um, But I, man, I don't know. It's hard to trust them too. I just, like how much are you going to get out of, the retreads of the 2016 Vikings. I mean, is Taylor Heineke going to keep it Late up? Late night movies. Late night movies, baby. Yeah. Scott Turner's there too, I think. Um, yeah. I, I mean, that would maybe be the one, but I, even talking about this, I don't sound like I'm even convinced of it myself. I mean, <laughs> I, in Philly, I don't see that either. I mean, they've, they've had interesting moments with Jalen Hurts, but I just, no, I don't think there's a team in there that's going to go get to 10 wins or something that is going to just take off and, yeah. and the Saints, especially with the quarterback situation being such a mess. I think that would be the other one you'd say they have the pieces to do it. Pieces don't play, but I just don't see that with the quarterback situation being for them what it is. I think, I think with where we sit right now, it almost is kind of when they're five and six, when they've got the schedule in front of them, I think it's and probably the best thing to say is, either outcome they will have earned if they don't make the playoffs they will have earned it because they would have they will have lost a game they should have won and if they make it they will have earned it because they would have had to go at least four and two i think down the stretch so i think it kind of it kind of makes a decision about the future a little bit easier if you think of it that way but um it it, that's that's kind of how i look at it right now they will have earned it they will have earned whatever they get either way I disagree with the, there is absolutely a path where they can make the playoffs and not really have earned it. I I mean, I I think there is because of the seventh playoff seed, because of the NFC, there's a way that Mike, what if they make it at eight and nine? If they get, if they make it at eight and nine as like a four team tiebreaker, then you're right. But I, I, it's going to be hard to make it at that. Like somebody's going to go better than three and three in this stretch. Aren't they? Like you would, you would think even if everybody's five and six right now, I just don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I at this point, I can't put any money or uh, faith on that. Not every team is not going to go three and four the, the way out. If if there's a mathematical way to do it, I think this NFC field could do it. Um, all right, let's start with the mailbag here. We got about twenty minutes, fifteen minutes left. Um, Skull or whatever wants to know what questions do you guys still have about this Vikings team? He's flipping it on its head. He wants to know what do we still want to know about this Vikings team? And that's, that's a great question. 
Um, I think Ben put voice to it a little bit on our previous topic about saying consistency, not being able to string together, you know, one week, the offense puts up 180 yards against Cooper rush. And uh, the next week it's Justin Jefferson puts that up by himself against the Packers. Um, It's just kind of that, that ebb and flow. I guess the big question I have is who's the center long-term and who's the right guard long-term because the Vikings have not figured out either of those things. And those are two pretty big ones because Mike Zimmer just got done talking about the running game and why it's been so hit or miss for the Vikings in the past few weeks. And he mentions the offensive line, not firing off aggressively enough, not getting that push. They're getting driven backward, kind of the same stuff we've been seeing over and over. And I think a big part of that is their interior line is still nowhere near figured out. So I guess that would be my biggest question. Um, Ben, what do you think? I'm going to go probably a little more wide angle lens on this, go big picture. Um, and uh, say, what are the Wilts thinking right now? I, we're not probably going to get a great answer to that question until they're sitting at a press conference or not in January to announce they've relieved whoever of their duties. Or if that doesn't happen, we'll, we'll know kind of what they think there. But I would love to know um, in clearer terms than we know now, because we hear some things, but I would love to know what they're thinking of all of this because – you're sitting here five and six. Yes, you still have a chance. But does getting in at nine and eight or eight and nine and losing in the first round, is that impressive enough to keep everyone around? Is that enough for you to say, let's keep rolling with this approach the way it is? Or are they getting to the point where they say, we've sunk a lot of money into this. We put every resource we could possibly put behind trying to build a championship with this group and it not happening. So, um, yeah, put it another way, I guess, how much does the last playoff spot get you in terms of job security? And how much does this sort of become like Chuck Fletcher and Mike Yo getting into the playoffs late in the season every year and losing? And at some point you say this isn't really that impressive. Yeah, that's that's a great one. I started off by wanting to know about a little ornament on the tree and Ben wants to know if the tree's rotted, which is a great question. Um, Mike, what do you think? I but I like Ben's answer too. And it, it, I'm going to think about it in terms of, I still don't know what this team is. And that's kind of a weird thing, 11 games into the season. And it kind of gets to the heart of that question. What do I want to know? I want to know what this team's identity is. Like, I think they went into it wanting the identity to still be the defense because that's what Mike Zimmer has always kind of, you know, that's been his philosophy. And I think they wanted Dalvin cook in the running game to be, the offensive identity. And I think they've done that to an extent, but cook is injured enough and the offensive line has enough problems run blocking. I guess my question is, I think the, I think the identity should be, this is a, a passing, a passing team that tries to essentially outscore you. I guess my question would be, are they comfortable with that? And are they good enough for that to be your identity? Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think that's going to be ever a fit for a Mike Zimmer coach team, right? Um, it was not in 2018. Kicking and screaming. Former uh, Vikings linebacker Aaron Henderson, and I'm going to have a hard time paraphrasing this tweet, but he had a good line about, well, he had a line anyway, about Kirk Cousins on Twitter. And this was, I think it might have been after maybe like the Baltimore loss or the maybe the Dallas loss. I can't remember. Um, but it was after the offense played poorly. And he basically just said, 
that uh, he doesn't have what Mike Zimmer called uh, was a Case Keenum's big, uh, big cojones, big, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> to, uh, big balls, the, the fortitude. Thank you. Um, Aaron Henderson basically put out their former Vikings player that he doesn't think Kirk Cousins has that to play for Mike Zimmer. And I think that just has to go with the, the whole pressure of Mike Zimmer not wanting this offense to make a mistake and not wanting, uh, you know, to, to just be the guy who rises up when you're needed as opposed to just always being that aggressive downfield quarterback. Because Kirk clearly pushes back on the notion that he's not aggressive enough. He clearly pushes back on that publicly. Um, but he doesn't really push Probably back. Too, I think. But he doesn't but he doesn't push back on the notion when we talk about being, being held down by coaching, right? Like he doesn't necessarily, I think he realizes that uh, Mike Zimmer plays a, a pretty pivotal role in this offense, not being the aggressive one that Mike Rand is talking about. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I, I think as we've alluded to a little bit, he is the type that if this is how you want it done, I'm going to do it the way you want it done. Not as much of, you, I mean, you're not going to see him do what we've heard people talk about, whether it's Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre or somebody saying, I, I don't care what you call, I'm going to call this instead and just do my own thing and basically become the offensive coordinator. I, you're not going to see that. And you're not probably on an even more detailed level going to see him go out and throw balls into double, triple coverage unless he feels like he's got a little more license to do that. I, I think, you know, when he talks about coaches possibly – being the ones that shape his way of doing it. I think that's true. Um, I I think he's in his moments publicly where he's fairly honest. I, he, I think spends enough time analyzing himself to have a fairly good scouting report on what he is and what he's not. And I, I think when he says that we should probably believe him. Yeah. Um, all right, let's let's move. We got a question here from Neil. Got a good one from him. He wants to know: This is obviously a top-heavy roster, but did we underestimate the depth players at the beginning of the year? He says guys like Bynum, Lynch, Osborne, Watts have been doing pretty well in tricky spots. Is that evidence of continued good coaching? Um, I thought that was a good question because they have gotten some yeah. contributions from some of these guys. Um, Cam Bynum's certainly one of them that at safety has come in and made a big impact right away. And as a rookie, you don't see that too often. Um, Osborne is a great one. Somebody who didn't even have a catch as a rookie and has come on and immediately made an impact. Um, I think it's Ben, I don't know about you or Mike. I don't know if you guys put that on coaching so much as they're finding guys who like Justin Jefferson too, fell to him that can come in and make an impact right away. They are scouting some, some difference makers, at least when it comes to depth. Yeah, and it kind of goes along with Joey's question. If Darisaw, Bynum, and you know, Kenne Nwangu hit, do we do we consider this a successful draft in 21? I mean, you have to – we are very, you know, quick to judge draft classes. And, you know, I think they've, they've definitely had some misses in, in recent years, but it, it the draft class is looking a little bit better now that they've been forced to use some of this – depth and yeah i think they're i think their younger players their depth players have been a little bit better than i thought that said there's still a pretty noticeable drop off at some pretty key spots when they have to test the depth more than they would like to i think the bigger problem probably has been having especially on defense to have to rely on so many of these guys at the same time as opposed to a couple at the same time yeah i i think it's it's an interesting question 
because they have gotten probably more contributions out of this class than I expected they would. And really, I think the 2020 class has started to give them a little more than we thought we'd see, whether it's Lynch or Osborne or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they have started to get a little bit more when they've had to have it because they don't have the depth. I mean, that's always been the thing we've said with this team is that, and like Neil mentions in his question, it's such a top heavy roster that the only way you're going to be able to survive, especially with injuries, especially with COVID you know, season, that's a game longer. You have to have guys step up and be able to at least help keep you afloat. I, I think one area we've seen this is the pass rush. It's not dropped off to the point where, they just can't get home. I mean, they've had games that probably haven't been as effective. They had certainly haven't been as impactful, but they've gotten more consistent pressure without Hunter on the field than I expected they would. And certainly they've found ways to kind of manufacture it. They may have to continue to manufacture it. I think that the bigger test is going to be long-term, whether they can do it without Hunter and Griffin, because then that's probably what we're looking at. But at least in the early term without just Hunter and then the one game without Griffin, I think they've done a better job of that than I thought they would. Yeah. The coaching shines through like when Bynum, I think in his first start had a sack yeah. um, on Justin Herbert. And that goes to what Ben's talking about in terms of manufacturing pass rush. Um, they're so good at just coaching these guys up to disguise what their intentions are to scheme up free rushers. Bynum, I don't believe was touched on the sack that he got. And he was honest as rookies are before they become seasoned veterans and learn not to say anything. <laughs> he was honest in talking about how the certain way they were playing, I think a cover three was that they had been rotating his side safety down so that when Herbert saw him rotating down into that pressure at the snap, he thought it was just them dropping into the normal cover three, but Zimmer designed, designed a blitz out of that, sending that safety right up the middle. So that's where the coaching really shows through, I think. Um, in terms of getting these guys in, in position to play, but you got to get guys in there like KJ Osborne who can go an entire year without an offensive catch and still be driven enough to improve the way he did this year. Um, it, it, I guess that's scouting and coaching working together, but they're not doing it at key positions like we talk about. And, you know, we're still talking about a first round center who has not uh, started since returning. And there are just other key spots that make this team what it is right now at five and six. And certainly a lot of injuries um, haven't helped either, but it has necessitated some of the depth moves that we're talking about here. Um, I got a question from uh, Run Bayou wants to know, would losing to the Lions on Sunday be a worse loss than losing to Cooper Rush on national TV? Uh, he wants to know, would it be the worst loss in the Zimmer tenure? Um, he disagrees with his own premise by saying he thinks the Cowboys loss is worse. But uh, Mike, you were the one who was uh, talking about this initially. How how bad would a loss like this be, I guess, if you would want to contextualize it before it even happens? I mean, it would be worse than the Cowboys loss just because Dallas, regardless of who is playing quarterback, still has plenty of talent on that team. A good deal, you know, pretty been pretty good defensively this year. Um, so as, as difficult as that loss was and as, as hard as they made it on themselves in that game, losing to a winless team with this much at stake would certainly – be uh be worse than that and you know when you think about a big picture it it could end up it could be the worst loss of his tenure and it's not too far-fetched to say that i mean it's it's kind of i don't have every loss like cataloged in my brain but i can't think of a lot of worse ones than than that at least with 
as much on the line. I mean, maybe, maybe losing to the bears at home at the end of the 2018 season, that was pretty bad. Um, you know, when you had the playoffs right in front of you, but, uh, that's, that's the only other one I could really think of. Uh, I would, I would say that that one against the bears would be up there. I would say the Colts in 16, when they still had a chance to get in, they brought Adrian back. Uh, Adrian made it clear that I'm not coming back unless we have a chance to get in. They got pounded at home. Um, and then they lost to green Bay next, the next week when the, uh, the gone rogue, the rogue one series, I think as we called it, um, happened or the mutiny on the Fox river, depending on your, your favorite, I, you can go with either one, but those, and then I suppose the, um, the opener in San Francisco in 15 would be the other one that sticks out that late night, just getting run over by a bad 49ers team with Carlos Hyde going for like 220 or whatever it was. Um, those would be the ones probably that stick out the most to me. If, if you lose this, I think it's certainly in the conversation. I, I think it may be the loss that has the most impact on Zimmer in the long term. And I get the point about division games are always close. But if you lose this, you then are saying we have to win four of our last five to get in, probably. And it's another NFC loss, which doesn't help in tiebreakers. So it may be the loss that eventually proves too much for Zimmer to overcome. So whether it's the worst or not, hard to say, but it may be the one that ultimately ends the conversation. So it might be a must win. Sounds like it. Yeah, it would be. a. I, I don't know if it's a must win. It'd be a shouldn't lose. Really need to win. Really need not to win. Serious. If you're serious about going, <laughs> just do what you shouldn't win. <laughs> Andrew, I see one here from I see one here from Cam Dantzler's stand that I kind of liked, and I did some quick research while you guys were talking a minute ago. Is it just me, or does it seem like Eric Kendricks hasn't been playing like himself the past couple weeks? And I kind of noticed the same thing. And if we are to judge by Pro Football Focus grades, which I know is Mike Zimmer's favorite thing, um, weeks one through nine. What's that? Especially with defensive players. I'm sure he loves it even more. Grade my defensive players for me, please, so I don't have to do it, he says often. Um, Kendricks was the eighth highest graded linebacker through the first nine weeks of the season. Um, These are guys who played at least half the snaps during that time. So we're talking about, you know, over 50 guys in that case, number eight. Um, The last three weeks, he is 33rd, and it's been mostly in run defense that he's been graded out poorly so i don't know if some of that's been he's been missing those other guys but it's uh it's been noticeable to me too um i i'll add just quick that the vikings actually put out their injury report for today the first one for week 13 and kendricks is on it with an arm injury so that's the first time i think we've seen him on it um this year if i can recall and so maybe maybe he's not fully healthy right now and he actually him and xavier woods are the only two defenders who have played every snap for them this year so it maybe it's just catching up to him michael scott nervous.gif if he's on there (laughs) i was nervous 45 minutes ago thanks andrew i'm more nervous now uh, for for vikings fans going into this one um, we should run run through that that list because uh, Anthony Barr officially did not practice in the walkthrough. Neither did uh, Cam Bynum, uh, Christian Derrissaw. Um, Michael Pierce did practice, but he's not on it. 
um, he was cleared to return to practice today. And then Dalvin Cook, of course, did not practice um, today. So Patrick Peterson isn't here. He's on the COVID list that could be without him as well. So there's a lot of uncertainty ahead of uh, a must-win game as we've as we've tapped it here at the Access Vikings podcast. Um, any last thoughts before I? I yeah, just on the Kendricks thing quickly. I, okay. I it's interesting that they they graded him that way in the run because I the moments that were sticking out to me were almost more in the passing game. They've had a couple. I think the Packers maybe hit him on one where he was trying to to chase. I think somebody downfield on a, a seam route that he got beat. I think there's been a, a few of those where people have tested in the past coverage too, but yeah, there's probably some missed tackles I'm forgetting uh, in the last few weeks that have contributed to the grade against the run. But yeah, I've, I've kind of thought that too, that he's showed up in some areas where he, he doesn't come out looking so good more often than you expect. I would venture to guess there's one play against the Niners, a 20 yard touchdown that he might contest that probably had a negative impact on his pro football focus grade. <laughs> That's probably true. Yes. Uh, he, he was fairly diplomatic about it. His head coach certainly. And that's the other thing we should ask today as we sit here and uh, debate questions we should have asked whether Zimmer sent any of those plays into the league. Yeah. Um, I'm sure he did. They get up to 10 that they can send every week. I'm sure Zimmer wanted to send a whole lot more than 10. Um, all right, guys. Well, that'll be it for the Detroit preview edition of the Access Vikings podcast. We will be talking to you next time after the Vikings-Lions game, uh, discussing whether it was a strong must-win or a pretty bad loss. Maybe you should get off the podcast. <laughs>